Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello there. Welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast. How are you doing? You, you, you good? Um, I expect you're probably sort of listening to this uh, on your way to work or something, uh, or maybe on your way back from work. I hope that you're on your way back in a way, because you know, you're generally in a better mood, aren't you, at that time? Um, if you're listening to this on the way to work, you're probably sort of, I don't know, you're probably feeling a little bit tense about the day, depending on what you've got ahead of you. You might just spend your, your whole day sitting at a computer or something. But you might also have one of those more high-pressure jobs where you know, you've got to perform. Maybe you're a teacher or something like that and you've got to go in front of your class and perform. Or maybe you're leading a meeting or presentation at work today. The pressure's on. So you're kind of thinking about that as well, perhaps. But if you're on your way back from work, just the world is your oyster, isn't it, at that moment? You're just, um, you just feel a, a burning sense of potential, you know, when, you're, when you've just left work, you, you walk out of the office and you're like, ah, freedom, you know, like that movie Braveheart, yeah, that's how you feel, isn't it, when you walk out of work at the end of the day, freedom, you know, you've got your freedom back again. And, it, and you think, oh, think of all the possibilities. Think of all the things that I can do with this free time that I've been given at the end of this day. And you think of all the things. I could watch a movie. I could read a book. I could conquer the world with this feeling. And then you get home and you realize, oh, I've got to do some housework. And then I've got to, you know, cook dinner and eat the dinner. And then I've got to sort of, I, I'm knackered as well. I'm absolutely exhausted. I've got to sit down on the sofa for a while and maybe but watch a bit of TV and then check Facebook. And then it's time to go to bed, isn't it? I suppose at that point. But that feeling though, isn't uh, on, on the way back from work, you just feel like I could conquer the world. Um, anyway, whatever you're doing and, um, wherever you are, uh, whatever time it is, um, welcome to the podcast. And this one is called What Londoners Say Versus What Londoners Mean. And it's all about typical things that people say in London, or typical things that Londoners will say, and then also looking at exactly what those things really mean. You know, sometimes we say one thing, but we actually mean something else, you know? So we'll be looking at those typical things that you might hear in London, and we'll be looking at the real meaning or what those things really mean. So it's not just a chance to look at some language, but also a chance to look at the culture of London and what it's really like living in London. Now, some of you listening to this may have experienced London before. Some of you might be living there right now. Some of you, of course, may never have been there in your whole lives. Um, But we're going to be looking at um, the character of London or what it really feels like to live in that city. I have done 
episodes about this topic before. For example, I did one about how to use the London Underground, and I also did a series of videos in which I interviewed people in the street and asked for their opinion on what it was really like living in London. A lot of people talked about... um, using the underground, using the tube, and how that's a bit difficult, it's a bit hot and crowded, um, and the trains sometimes get delayed. Um, not many people talked about just the, the fact that it's so expensive living in London. Um, uh, some people did talk about commuting in general, like travelling from outside the city into the city maybe to go to work um but anyway we're going to go through all kinds of sort of inside cultural stuff about london um if you've been there as a tourist you've probably got just one view of london and the city is brilliant for tourism because there are so many things you can visit and so many things you can do but i imagine the sort of tourist experience is a little bit different to the experience of the average person who just lives and works in london every day it's kind of a different city you know if you go as a tourist you um, just see the main cultural highlights you spend a lot of time in zone one i expect seeing all of the famous things like that um, and you see all the tourist stuff but if you live in london it's it's really different experience so we're going to be looking at it from the real londoners point of view and if you've never been to london before then i guess this was just going to give you a little bit of insight into how life is in one of the world's biggest cities. So this podcast is actually based on an article from a website called BuzzFeed. You might know about this website. It's kind of a very trendy um, website that um, produces lots of articles that are very distracting. Uh, People share them on Facebook. They sort of go around the office as well. And it's, these are the sorts of articles that have lists of like funny photographs or um, f- humorous articles about cultural things. Um, you've probably seen stuff on BuzzFeed. It's kind of popular at the moment. So this, um, th- there was an article published on BuzzFeed probably about a week or two ago. And it was called What Londoners Say Versus What They Mean. And I thought, hey, that's going to be a really good subject for a podcast because... It's a bit of language, but it's also a bit of culture. So um, um, this is not only going to teach you some vocab, but also allow you to get under the skin of London and find out some real inside knowledge of what it's like to live there for real. Um, So I'm going to go through the list. It's a list of, let's see, 66 things that Londoners might say and what they actually mean. So I'm going to go through this list. Uh, and explain everything for you, all right? Uh, if you want to see the original article, then there is a link on my website. You can also see all of the phrases and explanations that I'm going to be going through on the website too, so you can check that out if you want to. A little bit of a note on transcripts. You might remember from a few episodes ago that I started a um, a sharing sort of uh, project, a collaboration uh, with you, my listeners, and I've opened various Google documents for um, different episodes of the podcast, and it allows you to go onto those Google documents and transcribe a few minutes of an episode, and uh, eventually when the, the, the transcription is, is finished by everyone, um, I'll mark it finished, and then I'll start correcting it, and eventually they'll get published on the website. So if you want to, you could do a, tr- um, a transcription for this episode, um, just um, 
I'll open a Google document for it and you'll be able to do that. You'll find a link to that Google document here. Um, you can also check out all the other transcripts which have been finished, and lots of them have been finished now. Uh, if you go to my website, teacherluke.wordpress.com, and click on um, transcript collaboration and you'll see a list of all the, uh, all the transcripts that have already been done and for the most part those are correct they just need to be checked a little bit by me but most of them are correct so you can see that lots of previous episodes of the podcast are now fully transcribed and they're there for your reading pleasure you can also of course uh, copy paste the transcript into a pdf or you can copy paste it into something else and you can then you know work with it you can um, do things like gap some of the words and, and see if you can go back to it later and remember them. Or you can stick the whole thing into like a concordance analyzing thing. What that is, is um, a piece of software that allows you to stick a bunch of text in and then it kind of um, analyzes the whole thing and it allows you to identify, for example, uses of particular words. And it's quite an interesting way of picking out bits of vocabulary. Concordance data or concordance program. Have a look. Um, right, let's get started. Let's get started with uh, the, this list of things that Londoners say. And we're going to start off with number one, which is London prices. It's London prices, mate. London prices. And that means... Well, London prices is just a way of saying, well, it's London, so it's going to be expensive. So London prices actually means rip-off prices. Sorry, mate, it's London prices, you know what I mean? That just means, yeah, sorry, I'm just ripping you off. Um, a rip-off is basically a really bad deal. You know, if you buy something really, you know, really ex something is so expensive, you can say, well, that's a rip-off. What a rip-off, meaning... That is far too expensive. And you can be ripped off or get ripped off. And that means that you are overcharged for something. Um, okay, so let's see an example. Sometimes you might go to a shop somewhere and, and buy a little bottle of water and it's four pounds. You think, what a rip off. Or if you go to a gig, like a music gig in London, and you want to buy some beer and they charge you like £5 for a pint of beer. What a rip-off! I can't believe I'm being ripped off like this. Um, number two is, sorry. Okay, sorry. And sorry actually can mean, I'm not sorry. In fact, there are several ways that, that we can say sorry. There's the genuine one. Oh, sorry. The genuine one. Oh, sorry. And then there's the sarcastic. Sorry which is a sort of passive-aggressive way of saying sorry. Sorry, mate, you know, and that doesn't really mean I'm sorry. That means sorry, like you're an idiot, I suppose. Um, number three is, is, again, sorry, and this could mean that you've just trodden on my foot and I loathe you with every fibre of my being. Um, when you step on someone's foot on the train in London, it's quite likely that as an impulse, that person will say, sorry. It's quite strange, isn't it? Like, you step on their foot, they say sorry, and then you say sorry as well. And really what that means is, no problem. Don't want any problems. Sorry. So sorry is a kind of way of saying, I don't want any problems. Okay. Um, but it can be used when even you don't really mean it, you know, you kind of, actually you hate the person, you stupid idiot, but you kind of say, sorry, as a way of kind of 
uh, avoiding a conflict, I suppose. Um, number four is, excuse me, and it's a similar thing. Excuse me can obviously means, you know, sorry, but it also can mean you are, you're an idiot, and it depends on the way in which you say it. So um, imagine you're at the ticket, no, you're at the, the gates, the, the barrier at a, an underground station, right? And um, someone is taking ages getting their ticket out of their bag and you can't get past them. So, so you might say, excuse me, and that means get out of the way. But it also means um, you have paused momentarily at the ticket barrier and I'm boiling with rage. Excuse me. Right. There's sort of three ways, I guess, to say excuse me. Right. There's the standard. Um, oh, excuse me which is a you know genuine way of doing it, then there's, oh, excuse me, which is the sarcastic one, meaning, oh, you're an idiot, you know. And then also we use excuse me to get the attention of a barman. And you have to say that like this, excuse me, excuse me, like that. That's how you get the attention of a barman. You make eye contact with him, excuse me, mate, excuse me, like that. So excuse me is like getting someone's attention. And then, um, excuse me, sarcastic, and then there's uh, oh, excuse me, which is like sorry. Um, then you've got uh, things like oh, my fault entirely, my fault entirely. That means it was my fault. But sometimes, even when someone says my fault entirely, actually they mean that was your fault. I suppose what what these sort of um, examples here mean with sorry and excuse me and oh, my fault entirely, is that London has managed to use apologies as a way of covering up the fact that they're actually very angry or frustrated. Um, and if you go through London, for example, if you uh, travel to work on a very crowded train, it's, you know, it's not very pleasant. Everyone's crowded in and everyone's in a bad mood because they're going to work. And sometimes you bump into people or you step on someone's foot. And of course, we have to say, sorry, oh, excuse me. Um, because if we didn't, then you'd end up with these terrible situations where someone's been rude to someone and then it causes like a fuss or causes a scene and it's very uncomfortable and you know, puts everyone in a bad mood if there's some kind of conflict. So we just say, excuse me, sorry, and stuff like that, just to avoid those sorts of conflicts. So even when we don't really mean it, I still think it's quite good that people say sorry, because it's better than not saying sorry, you know, because if you if you go around not saying sorry, then everyone's just going to be in a really bad mood all day, right? So, um, yeah, there you go. I, I mean, so I suppose we apologise a lot because we're nice, I suppose. Um, I've been to some places where people don't say sorry, um, not naming any particular names, but there are some cities where people don't really say sorry enough. And as a result, I get the impression, OK, I'm talking about Paris, all right? Now, if you're from Paris, you, you'll agree with me because everyone I speak to about Paris agrees uh, with, with me on this. It's kind of one of those things that everyone knows is true in Paris, that um, for some reason the culture on the metro is that everyone's in a bad mood and no one really apologises, no one gets out of each other's way, and it's very sort of awkward and, and annoying and uncomfortable. Um, and it's, it's funny that. I think it's just a Paris thing, it's not a French thing. But you get that sense that everyone's a bit pissed off all the time. And I can't help thinking that it's because 
there's there isn't that collective sense of responsibility of maintaining the atmosphere you know so it's almost like a domino effect everyone starts the morning on a positive note i hope and then they get on the train and they're in a bad mood because they've got to go to work and then someone has bumped into them and they didn't say sorry and then that makes them even in more of a bad mood and then they do something that makes someone else annoyed and they then carry that bad feeling and it spreads around and no one's like, you know, making an effort to try and keep it under control. And as a result, everyone sort of ends up in a bit of a bad mood. Um, I, obviously, I love Paris, but there are some things that are definitely true. And one of those is that there's this kind of slightly unfriendly and miserable atmosphere on the public transport system. And it's similar in London. Obviously, it's also very crowded and it can be very hot. But I think there's also this sense that people understand how to make it work. For example, when you get on a, uh, an underground train, generally speaking, people will move down, or they should. They understand that they should move down inside the, the carriage in order to make space for people. And when, for example, it's very crowded, people might move out of the way to let you get on the, on the train. Whereas in Paris, I feel like sometimes you just get on the train and people, people get on the train and they just stop. You know, and they, and then you have to shove into them to get on. You know, they don't move in. Um, and there are other things like, for example, when the train arrives, um, it's customary to let the other passengers get off the train before you get on. And in London, this is like a very, very strictly um, uh, followed rule. I mean, really, if you don't let other people get off a train. Uh, on the underground in London, if you sort of push past them, then that's like breaking a rule. And people will be like, oh. people will be clearly really annoyed. Um, and you might get a comment like, um, let people get off the train first, please. You know, you might get a comment like that. So the rules are very strict and people stick to them. For example, when you get out of the train, you have to definitely move immediately. You have to keep moving because if you stop on the platform, then lots of other people are going to have to stop behind you. So there's that sense that people understand how to make it work. Whereas in Paris, people just sort of walk around as if, well, it's my right to just do anything I want at any time, including just stop in the middle of the platform to have a meeting with some of my friends, holding up the entire city it's my it's my right as a citizen to do that so people sort of it's strange it seems to be quite individualistic which is um strange because i expected france or paris to be a bit more of a collective culture you know because they have these principles egalite liberty fraternity right which is my way of saying it like equality liberty and sort of brotherhood are you know very important principles in France, but I don't see much of it happening on the metro. Um, anyway, let's see. Imagine now you've arrived at the office after your difficult journey into work, and um, someone says says to you, "Hi, how are you?" And so number six, the answer is, "I'm fine, thanks. I'm fine." And "I'm fine" can often mean "I'm not fine." Um, so despite the fact that you've, you, you, you've just had the train journey from hell and it's raining and you feel depressed and you hate your job and you hate everyone there and it's, your life is a nightmare and you've forgotten what the sun looks like and you haven't had any vitamin D for like three months 
and someone says, hi, how are you? You just say, I'm fine. Fine, thanks. Even though actually it could mean I'm barely managing to conceal a churning maelstrom of emotions. Um, what does that mean? I'm, I'm barely managing to conceal something. It mean, means it's, it's very difficult for me to hide it. And I'm only just managing to hide this. And the thing that you're managing to hide is a churning maelstrom of emotions. A churning maelstrom, that's like a chaotic mass, okay? A completely random chaotic mass of emotions. So if you can imagine all the emotions are boiling up inside you like a churning maelstrom, a sort of, um, um, sort of mixed up kind of chaotic mass of emotions... Um, and someone says, hi, how are you? And you go, I'm fine, thanks. Um, there you go. So, yes, when you ask someone, hi, how are you? Then you're secretly wishing or hoping that they just say fine. Because if someone asks you, like, at the office, hi, how are you? They don't really care, and they don't really want to know how you are. They don't want to hear your life story. All they expect is for you to just say, I'm fine, thanks, fine, like that. Um, it's just polite, you know, sometimes how are you is just another way of saying hello, isn't it? Um, okay, next we've got, see you Saturday, see you Saturday, all right? Now, it might be that, uh, let's say, uh, at work, at the end of the week, you kind of make a sort of casual agreement with a colleague that you're going to meet up on Saturday and maybe watch the football or something. So you've made this sort of half-baked plan to meet on Saturday. So it's probably something like, yeah, maybe maybe we could, uh, you know, maybe we could, like, sort of do something on Saturday. And then at the end of the day on Friday, you leave work saying to your colleague, right, see you Saturday. Okay. Now, this might not mean that you really want to meet them on Saturday uh, and typically this can mean don't forget to email me twice to make sure that we're actually meeting on Saturday so it's weird isn't it this I don't know if it's the same where you are but sometimes in London you make these half-hearted uh, agreements to meet and then by the time you get home and it's sort of Saturday morning, and you're about an hour outside central London, and you're at home, and you think, oh, I can't be bothered to go outside today. I just want to stay in and, and watch Match of the Day, you know? Um, so then probably what happens is that you send a text to the person, and the text will be worded a bit like this. It'll say, um, so are you, you still up for meeting later? Or are you still okay for later? And that really is a way of sort of leaving the door open for that person to either say, yeah, or to say, well, actually, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it, or I'll try and make it. Now, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it uh, actually means I, I can't, I'm not coming, okay? But it's such a tentative way of saying it. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it. To make it means to come or to attend, and then I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, is, a, is just a very indirect way of saying I can't, right? So I can't make it means I can't come. Um, and, um, and then, at the, you know, then ultimately you're not actually seeing each other. Or what happens is you say on Wednesday, all right, let's meet on Saturday, and then there's no contact between then and Saturday morning, 
And at that point, either of the parties, or maybe just one of them, would think, well, I haven't heard anything, I haven't had a text confirming it, or I haven't had an email, so I'm kind of, I've kind of decided it's not happening anymore. So you have to kind of make sure that you've established contact beforehand, before the actual time of, of meeting occurs, because otherwise the other person is kind of within their rights to, to assume that it's not happening. It's easy for sort of um, social plans to break down in London. I think part of that is because um, there's a lot of travelling time. A lot of people live in Zone 3, for example, and it can take sort of 30 minutes to an hour to get into central London and often people just can't be bothered really to travel long distances people tend to get to their um, they get to their little area of London and then they just want to stay there for the weekend and it often takes quite a lot to make people travel uh, to different parts of London and it's such a big city and in a way it's more like a collection of little towns or a collection of, of villages London all sort of quite close to each other and you end up traveling between these towns or villages it's not a city that you can really walk around because there are so many places that are very spread out so you could be over in west london in hammersmith or shepherd's bush and if you're then asked to go to shoreditch in east london that's quite a long journey to an extent i mean depending on where you are you might need to get on an underground you know several underground trains um, and if there is engineering works on the underground it can be very difficult because you have to take a different route um, you there's also a, a difference between north and south london there's a kind of rivalry some people think south london's the best some people think it's north london um, and um, a lot of people don't really, if they live in North London, a lot of people just don't really fancy the, the idea of going south of the river. Going south of the river is almost like going a bit too far. Oh, I, don't, I don't really want to go south of the river. And there used to be some taxis who would refuse to go south of the river because, you know, they, they just don't want to go that distance. Um, all right, so that's why. See you Saturday might actually not happen, you know. Uh, then we've got, uh, let's have lunch. Let's have lunch. And according to this article, this actually means let's walk to Pret and, and walk back as fast as we can. Let's walk to Pret and back as fast as we can. What's Pret? It's Pret-a-Manger, which is a chain of um, like sandwich shops in, in England. So let's have lunch can actually mean let's just walk to the sandwich shop and, and back as fast as we can. Why would you do it as fast as you can? Because ultimately you don't really want to have lunch with this person. This, this article is quite cynical because it does suggest that Londoners are all kind of unfriendly and they don't really care about each other. I don't think that's really true. It's, so it's quite a cynical look at London life. In fact a lot of the time you have, you know, really good fun with your colleagues and you can go and have lunch with them and it's a really pleasant part of the day. But then there are other times when you might be in a job that you don't like and you get the sense that people don't really care about each other. So something like, yeah, let's have lunch can actually mean let's just really quickly walk to the shop together and then we'll eat separately. Um, number 10 is, I'm having a party in Wimbledon. Come along which actually means please travel for four and a half hours as I live in the middle of bloody nowhere. Okay, so that goes back to that point I made about 
people being a little bit unwilling to travel. Wimbledon is quite far. It's all the way down in the south at the end of the district line. And the district line is like the Londoners... The, most Londoners don't like the district line. It's got this bad reputation. Um, it's the green line, if you know the underground map. It's got a bad reputation because it's always been quite slow and quite prone to uh, to failures like signal failures or engineering work it's one of the oldest lines and so it quite often goes wrong and there's lots of delays on it so people you know if if uh, if your house is at the end of the district line then people you know aren't going to be willing to go there especially down south you know south of the river so i'm having a party in wimbledon is a bit like yeah i don't know if i'm going to make it to be honest you know um Let's see. Number 11, we have open for business. And this actually means oligarchs welcome. So I suppose this is a a statement about uh, London as a business opportunity. So open for business is a kind of way of like saying the city of London is a place where, you know, corporations can do business. So in fact, this is like saying we welcome rich billionaires from Russia to come and set up their operations here. And that that leads us on to number 12, which is centre of global finance. So really here we're talking about the city of London, which is a an area just, uh, just in the sort of eastern central part of London, known as the city or the square mile. And this is where lots of banks have their offices and lots of businesses. Uh, it's, a, it's the financial centre of London. Um, so centre of global finance could actually mean it's a money launderer's paradise. Money laundering is a way of like uh, it's committing fraud, and it's like um, hiding, like hiding dodgy money um, in a in a company. So putting money into a company um, which is actually sort of fraudulent. Um, so there is there is that sense that perhaps in the centre of London there are kind of slightly dodgy bankers and questionable financial transactions going on that it may be a center of corruption or at least just as a center of sort of deregulation um, that's obviously a very important part of the british economy that we have a deregulated financial market and that's really based in the city of london by the way do you know the mayor of london do you know his name well his name is boris johnson you might have seen him on the TV. Boris Johnson is a real character. He's an old Etonian. That means he went to a very uh, exclusive private school. And um, he is a friend of the, 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 the bankers. He's a friend of the City of London, which means that he kind of works to protect their interests. But he's also quite a um, charismatic guy, I suppose. And he's quite, um, what's that word meaning slightly mad? Um, um, I can never remember this word. It begins with an E, and it means a little bit crazy, eccentric. That's the one. Um, you might have realised that before me. Eccentric. Yes. Yeah, so he's very eccentric. He's what does he look like? Well, he's kind of a bit fat, and he's got. Um, he's very scruffy. So often when he's wearing his suit um maybe the the shirt is a bit untucked or this he he's not very chic you know he's very scruffy and also he's got this blonde hair bright blonde hair and it's always a complete mess 
So he looks a bit like a clown in a way. Um, he's quite an interesting character, but he's very sort of funny. Whenever he's on TV, he's quite amusing to watch. But he's also very clever and a very ambitious politician. I'd like to do a podcast episode all about Boris Johnson. I think he's fascinating. Um, and he's really interesting in interviews. I'm not saying I, I think he's great. I just think he's interesting. Um, so, yes, Boris Johnson um, and the City of London. This is a part of what makes London operate is that it's a financial centre and, and the mayor of London um, really tries to protect that spirit. Um, okay, uh, let's imagine we're back on we're back on the subject of transport now. Number 13 is my commute, it's not too bad, about average. My commute, it's not too bad, about average. A commute, remember, is a journey uh, into the city for your job. So often if you live outside the city, you might commute uh, if you're a commuter and you might take a commuter train uh, in order to commute into the city. And so people might say, yeah, my commute, oh, it's not that bad. Uh, it's about average, which actually means it involves three modes of transport, takes hours each day and is slowly crushing my spirit. So it's quite common for... Um, a commute to take a very long time and it might involve several different modes of transport. I used to live in um, West Ealing which is quite far out to the west. It's like an hour away from the centre of London and um, I used to work in Waterloo so that was a really big commute and I used to start teaching at nine in the morning so I, I used to try and get to work for 8 to 8.30. So I'd have to get up at like 6 o'clock in the morning in order to try and get a train at 7. And um, the the platform at the station was a total nightmare because there were so many other commuters. The train would arrive and it would be completely packed. The doors would open and there was just there would just be no space to get on. So you'd have to wait and the platform's getting more and more crowded. And eventually you can squeeze into a train and you're like pressed right up against the glass. You've got some guy's armpit in your face. And um, so the best thing you can do is just close your eyes and just hold on and try and survive. And that sort of lasts half an hour. And eventually you get into an underground station and you follow this massive horde of people pouring into the station. And you get down onto the platform and it's the same story as before. It's incredibly crowded. The train arrives and the doors open and you squeeze in and you're crushed inside the, uh, the tube train. And eventually you get to, to your destination after, you know, like an hour of, of travelling. That's what my commute used to be like. Um, I'd take the overland train to Paddington and then I'd take the Bakerloo line uh, to... I think the Bakerloo line went to Waterloo. Um, but uh, I used to do that twice a day. It was a total nightmare. Um, so we also have, um, could you move down a bit, please? Could you move down a bit, please? Um, and that can actually mean, I'm not asking, I'm telling. Can you move down a bit, please? It's phrased as a question, but what it actually means is, move down, please. Um, and that's a phrase that you hear on the tube or on the bus. That's when the train is very crowded and you want people to move into the carriage to create some space. Could you move down a bit, please? And actually, that's, that's a great thing to say on the, on the tube because you know that 
some of the people behind you really support you, you know? I feel there's two situations in which you can say something in a public place and everyone completely loves you for it, okay? One of them is in a very crowded train and you have the courage to say, can you move down a bit, please? And you know that the people behind you are like, yes, you're my hero! You're just like a superhero at that point. And the other situation where you can say something in public and you become a hero is in a cinema... The film is just starting, and there are some people just... Some people are chatting, and you know that people are getting annoyed by it. And so that's your opportunity to become a hero. And what you can do is just go, shh, like that. Or you might say, shh, sorry, can you keep it down? Or, shh, sorry, we're trying to watch the film. And uh, then the people shut up, and everyone else in the cinema just silently worships you as their personal hero for that moment. So, could you move down a bit, please, can be a really good thing to say. Then you've got, could you move down a bit, please, which can mean, I'm seconds away from a devastating mental collapse. All right. Could you move down a bit, please, which can be like even more angry and, and exasperated. I'm seconds away from a devastating mental collapse. Well, I'm not sure it's that far, but still, it can be pretty powerful stuff. Can you move down a bit, please? Um, let's see. Then we've got, can you move down a bit, please? It's not very common that you hear people that hysterical. But here it means, if you don't move down, I will start killing people indiscriminately. Okay, it's just an extreme example. But you can see that... Can you move down a bit, please? Can be a very passionate thing to say uh, on a crowded train in the morning. Goodness me, I've just realised I'm only up to number 18 and I'm, I've already been speaking for like 35 minutes. So, okay, I think I should probably try and hurry up, first of all. And if I don't get to the end, then I will probably continue this in another one. All right. So next we have uh, due to adverse weather conditions. Now you might hear that um, on a train in an announcement. Um, you know, it might say something like the 1341 train to Paddington is delayed by up to 15 minutes due to adverse weather conditions. Adverse weather conditions, which sometimes means, yeah, it was a bit windy earlier on. You know, adverse weather conditions just means it rained quite a lot earlier, or it, I'm afraid it's a little bit windy, so the train's, the train's broken because of the wind. Due to adverse weather conditions, the train to Paddington has been cancelled. And so, adverse weather conditions, oh, for sake. Um, due to the wet weather conditions, due to the wet weather conditions, the district line is running a reduced service due to the wet weather conditions, which can mean, well, a tiny amount of rain has fallen, and so the train is broken because of a little bit of water. Due to the wet weather conditions, the district line will no longer be running this weekend. What the fuck? Um, please take care when alighting from the train. Please take care when alighting from the train. Alighting from the train, that just means getting off the train. I don't know why they're using this fancy language. Alighting from the train, getting off the train, thank you very much. Please take care when alighting from the train could be 
don't blame us if you break your leg when you get off this train, all right? Um, so it's almost like passive-aggressive. Please take care. It's like, take care, because it's not our fault if you injure yourself. You also, of course, have mind the gap. Mind the gap, uh, which is the famous thing you hear in London, isn't it, on the, on the underground? Uh, please mind the gap between the train and the platform edge. This is a district line train to somewhere. This is a, this is a district line train to Hammersmith, calling at Piccadilly Circus. Wait a minute, the district line doesn't go through Piccadilly Circus. Um, all right, so we apologise for the inconvenience caused. Okay, we apologise for the inconvenience caused. It's not a very sincere apology. Um, we apologise through the medium of a dehumanised pre-recorded message. We're deeply, sincerely sorry. That's why we used a robot to present this message. Um, number 21. Due to a signalling failure. Due to a signalling failure. Argh, a signalling failure. Now, this seems to happen all the time. If any train is delayed, it's due to a signalling failure at Charing Cross. The district line train will be delayed up to 10 minutes. Actually, um, the district line doesn't go through Charing Cross, does it? Yes. Um, anyway, due to a signalling failure, this could mean due to an excuse that we just made up. It seems that signalling failures happen all the time. What is a signalling failure anyway? And how often do they happen? Can't they fix their signalling system? Yes. Now, the next one is... A rail, a rail replacement bus service is in operation. A rail replacement bus service. Those can be some of the worst words that you can hear, particularly at the weekend. Due to a rail... Uh, due to... No, it would be something like... This used to happen when I visited my parents in, in Warwickshire. Sometimes on Sunday, there would be engineering works on the line... And so a rail replacement bus service would be in operation. And those are horrible words because that means that your journey is going to be extended by like an hour at least because the train's going to go from Warwick to like Oxford and then you're going to have to wait at the platform for ages uh, for another train to take you to Bicester. And then at Bicester you're going to get off the train and get on a bus and you're going to have to sit on the bus for ages and it's going to get stuck in traffic. And then uh, finally the bus will take you to another station that will drop you off at Haddenham and Thame or something like that. And then you take another train back into London. And by the time you get home it's dark and you're starving hungry. So rail replacement bus service could actually mean a slow agonising descent into madness. There is a good service on all un there is a good service on all London underground lines which is one of the most ironic things that you hear in London. There is a good service on all London underground lines which obviously means well it depends on how you define good really doesn't it. Um, sometimes you hear something like this there are delays on the district circle uh, Hammersmith and, and city lines Piccadilly uh, northern line and Jubilee line but there is a good service on all other lines. Well, great. What all other lines? There aren't any others. Um, number 24, due to planned engineering works. Planned engineering works. Which basically can mean that's your, that's your weekend plans fucked then, isn't it? 
due to planned engineering works, that can mean that whole sections of the London Underground are closed at the weekend due to planned engineering works. So it's possible to be completely stranded in your local area of London, unless, of course, you're willing to take the rail replacement bus service, which is usually a very bad idea. Now, number 25 is a very specific thing that only Londoners know. This is like a real kind of inside bit of London knowledge. And if you ever hear this announcement on the public address system of a station, for example, um, this actually means, oh my God, everybody panic, we're all about to die. Now, um, which announcement is it? Well, it's this. Would Inspector Sands please report to the operations room immediately? Would Inspector Sands please report to the operations room immediately? Now, if you hear that on the public addressment system, um, you're probably going to shit yourself. Not literally, but just in terms of the fact that you're suddenly going to become very scared. Because if you know what that means, you're probably a real Londoner. What does it mean? Well, it means that there's... Um, that is a sort of standard announcement which is used by uh, Transport for London staff as a way of warning members of staff in the station that there is a threat of a fire or maybe a bomb. Okay, So it's like a secret code that the staff at the station use to tell each other that there's a fire or a bomb in the station. All right, so they say, would Inspector Sands please report to the operations room immediately? Then you suddenly see all the staff sort of panicking and rushing down the platform. To be honest, it doesn't happen very much. It's just one of those things that people know in London. You know, it's like one of those... I always thought it was a myth, to be honest. People, you know, we often sometimes would say, you know, have you ever heard that announcement about Miss Inspector Sands? People talked about it. I, I never heard it myself. I always thought it was a myth. But apparently it's true. Um, number 26, an annual fare increase. An annual fare increase, which actually means we're rinsing you suckers for even more money again. We're rinsing you. If someone rinses you, it means they squeeze all of the money out of you, okay? And annual fare increase is something that happens, well, every year. And it just means that the trains and the buses have increased. They've, they've risen their prices. It's really annoying. It happens every year. It's kind of why the transport system is so expensive in, in London. Because they manage to get away with raising their their prices, um, you know, every year. So an annual fare increase. Again, you know, suddenly your, your ticket's 50p more expensive. Um, number 27 is house party in Tooting. See you there. South of the river, no fucking chance. So Tooting is like quite far to the south on the northern line. And if someone invites you to a house party in Tooting, it's a bit like a house party in, in Wimbledon. It's just like, no, I don't think I'm going to be making that. Uh, like, for example, a house party. If you live in North London, it's going to be really hard to get back home after the, um, the underground has stopped running from a house party in Tooting. The underground tends to stop at about half past 12 at night. So it's very easy to get stranded in the middle of nowhere in London. Um, and often you end up having these sort of London adventures, these midnight London journeys where you travel back to your home from some party 
in the middle of the night and it takes you an hour and it's like a big adventure. You might be walking the streets trying to find a taxi or trying to get on a night bus. Um, so if you end up in a house party in Tooting, then you've got a long night ahead of you because it's going to take you ages to get home. Um, number 20. Now, I th- number 28. I think I'm going to go up to number 30. Um, oh, let's see how far I can get up to before this is an hour, all right? Uh, next one is, I live in zone one. I live in zone one. And this means I am unimaginably wealthy. Because, ladies and gentlemen, frankly, nobody lives in zone one. Well, or hardly anyone lives in zone one. You know London is divided into zones. The main central part is zone one. And then you've got zone two, zone three, and zone four. Uh, and, and more zones, to be honest. Uh, but zone one, that's, you know, like Hyde Park and Oxford Circus and um, Piccadilly, Leicester Square, Soho, all that stuff. That's in zone one. And no one really lives there unless people are super-duper rich. Uh, or maybe you've got like a council house in zone one, but really no one lives in zone one. Um, so if if you say, yeah, I live in zone one, then everyone's just going to think that you're really rich. Um, talking about other areas in, in London, sometimes people say things like this. Yeah, this area is really up and coming. It's up and coming. If an area is up and coming, it means at the moment it's in, it's pretty bad. It's pretty rough. But it's improving, meaning that um, perhaps sort of um, more middle class people are moving in, or young sort of um, young professionals are moving in. So the general standard of the area is going to improve, but going to improve. So at the moment, it's still really rough and awful. So this area is really up and coming. Actually, means that well, only one tramp shouts at me in the morning. Um, so it's really up and coming means that it's actually a pretty bad place to live. But maybe in the future it's going to improve. Number 30, vibrant. So if, if uh, an estate agent describes an area as vibrant, it's a really vibrant area, then actually that means, well, actual poor people live here. A vibrant area could be a sort of a, a richly multicultural area or an area where there's like a mixture of different social classes. So on one hand, that's like exciting and vibrant. On the other hand, it could be sort of dangerous and alienating. Um, number 31 is the idea of gentrification. Gentrif- gentrific- Let me say that again. So can you say this with me? Gentrification. Gentrific. Hold on a minute. Gentrification. There you go. And gentrific. Why am I having trouble with this word, ladies and gentlemen? Um, Luke's English podcast will be delayed due to a signal failure in Luke's brain. Um, Right, gentrification. This is when an area that used to be rough or dangerous or sort of cheap is starting to uh, become more expensive and, and, and classier. It's called gentrification. That's when sort of um, richer people move into that area. And as, as a result, the general standard of living in the area rises. So, for example, you might get certain shops appearing in that area. For example, if a Waitrose supermarket arrives in this area, you can say, well, this area is becoming really gentrified. Okay. Uh, typically, the, the trend goes like this. There's a, a, um, a very poor area of London, very 
like ter- very bad living conditions and because the rent is so cheap artists and students move into that area and as a result the place sort of changes and it becomes trendy it becomes sort of fashionable and then because it's become fashionable and trendy more sort of business people move in because they're capitalizing on this sort of new um, trendiness in this area and as a result more businesses open there it might become a place where lots of new businesses start up you know, creative media businesses, for example, or tech, technology businesses, computing, the internet, stuff like that. And so it becomes like a business area. And then, you know, rich people start living there. And as a result, the place changes and sort of trendy, expensive bars start opening and certain sort of high class supermarkets or organic food restaurants and things like that. And the area becomes gentrified. Um, So, gentrification can mean oh i'm so glad that they're getting rid of all the poor people which is a kind of sarcastic and cynical way of looking at gentrification Um, and if an area is gentrified um, it could mean oh god now i can't afford to live here either Um, number 33 um, this is and the next few examples are things that an estate agent might say an estate agent is uh, one of those people who is responsible for helping you find a place to live and selling you or renting you properties Um, so it's very difficult to find kind of good cheap uh, accommodation in london and the accommodation is very expensive and sometimes it's not really worth the money that you're spending on it you could get something much nicer and much bigger outside london but the estate agents use kind of colorful language to try and sell pretty bad apartments so they might say yeah there's a it's really efficient use of space efficient use of space is another way of saying the apartment is micro microscopic it's tiny. Efficient use of space. This just means that the apartment is so small that what they've done is they've put a sofa bed in there and they've got like a kitchen unit which is in the same room as the living room bedroom. So the whole thing is about three meters squared. But it's really efficient use of space, which is a positive way of saying that it's tiny. Um, A studio flat a studio flat. Wow, it sounds exciting, doesn't it? A studio. You imagine large open spaces where artists uh, are doing, uh, exhibiting their work in a studio. You imagine a loft with lots of windows and, and ceilings and things. But no, a studio flat isn't as glamorous as that. It's basically a bedsit. Uh, um, a bedsit is just a one-room apartment with a bed, you know, a sofa bed in it. So studio flat is not really as glamorous as it sounds. Um, An estate agent might say, "This, this place has got incredible potential. If it's got good potential, that just means that it could be good in the future. But now it's an absolute shithole. Okay, Uh, a shithole, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, if something is a shithole, it means it's an absolute mess. It's really awful. It's a really awful mess. And it's used to describe a place. This place is an absolute shithole. Be careful, of course, ladies and gentlemen, because the word shit is a very rude word. You'll know that if you listen to my episode all about how to swear in British English. You'll know that shit is one of the top most offensive swear words. 
Um, if you are offended by any of the language in this episode of Luke's English Podcast, then, well, I do apologise, but I'm afraid that's kind of how real Londoners speak, to be honest. We do use this kind of language, and it is my mission, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen, to teach you real British English as it's really spoken. So there you go, I'm just teaching, I'm just communicating to you what Londoners really say. Um, so sorry if you're offended by it, but I'm just reflecting real life in London. We're still on the subject of accommodation. And number 36 is, this place is affordable. It's affordable. That means you can afford to live here. But if something is affordable, it's not really positive. It probably means it's horrible. It could even be uninhabitable. Uninhabitable means that you can't inhabit that place. You can't even live there. It's affordable, you know, an affordable, modest apartment with incredible potential and really efficient use of space. It means it's tiny, it's horrible, and it's, you know, just cheap enough for you to afford it. Um, number 37, it's deceptively spacious deceptively spacious. Spacious means there's lots of space, there's lots of room. If something is deceptively spacious, it means that it's not obviously spacious when you first look at it. So you might think, oh, this is actually very small. But no, it's, it's deceptively spacious, actually, because there's a lot of storage space in these cupboards here. So uh, an estate agent might say that this and a tiny apartment is actually deceptively spacious. Um, if something is described as authentic, it's probably fake, okay? Um, um, number 40, I just bought a flat. If someone in London says, I just bought a flat, what it really means is, my parents just helped me to buy a flat. It's very difficult to buy property in London because it's so expensive. And a lot of people buy their first property with a lot of help from their parents, to be honest. Um, where are we? We've got f about three minutes left, and I, I think we'll... Um, Let's see. I, I'm going to fly through the, the rest of these, okay? Even if it goes beyond an hour. I'm just going to fly through the rest of these. Right. Pub. Pub. Now, someone might say to you, swift half. Swift half. A half means a half pint, okay? And a swift half is like saying a quick half. But if someone says swift half, you know it's never going to just be a swift half. Because the, after your first drink, someone's going to say, do you fancy another one? And then it's going to become many, 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 many halves. So swift half could be an invitation to let's go drinking in the pub. And it's similar to quick pint. And that actually means we'll be in the pub until closing time. Um, number 43, we're going on a date can actually mean we're getting pissed together. It seems that in London, people drink a lot and often social uh, plans or social occasions sometimes are just an excuse to just drink in different scenarios. Um, we're going on a date just means we're going to get drunk together. Picnic could be a daytime piss-up, actually. Picnic, of course, is when you have a meal outside, but really often it, it ends up being a daytime piss-up. What's a piss-up? A piss-up is a session in which you drink and you get drunk. We're having a piss-up in the pub, for example. A daytime piss-up would be just another word for a picnic. Barbecue, that's a, a piss-up in the garden, isn't it? Um, South London seems to be synonymous with danger to some people. 
because according to this article, South London also could be here be monsters or there are monsters here. Um, I think that's just because some areas in South London are a little bit rough. I think it's a bit unfair to say that there are monsters. It's just that some areas are a bit rough and you might feel that you've got to look after your, your mobile phone and your wallet. Um, number 47, West London, uh, here be posh people. This phrase, here be, like here be monsters, that comes from like old maps of the oceans. You Remember those very old maps? And there would be little pictures of monsters in the sea. And that's because these sailors who made these maps saw probably whales in the sea and decided they were monsters. And so they marked it on the map with a picture and the phrase, here be monsters. So it's an old-fashioned English usage. Nowadays, of course, it would be, here are monsters, or there are monsters here. Um, South London, here be monsters. Uh, West London, here be posh people, because we associate West London with sort of posh people, higher class, maybe richer people, particularly in areas like Chelsea, Kensington, Knightsbridge, stuff like that. Uh, East London, here be young people. East London is the kind of up-and-coming, trendy part of London these days. Areas like Shoreditch, Brick Lane, Shoreditch Market, the Truman Brewery, those spots. Really super trendy places where you find all the hipsters, you know, all those guys in skinny jeans and like shaved hair and like beards and moustaches and stuff, hipsters. Um, so East London, that's where all the young people are. Uh, 49 North London, here be newspaper columnists. So North London is where you get so lots of middle class people, journalists, things like that. Oxford Circus is a roiling hellscape. A roiling hellscape, that's complicated. It's like a landscape from hell, Oxford Circus. If you're a real Londoner, you will avoid Oxford Circus at all costs, especially on Saturday and especially at rush hour, because it's just absolutely packed full of people and all the tourists go there too. So I would say don't go to Oxford Circus, it's a nightmare. Uh, Number 51, Tech City. Tech City. Um... Tech City is another name for that area in East London, like Shoreditch, for example. And it's called Tech City because lots of business startups are based there. So Tech City could actually be just a bunch of business startups that you've never heard of in East London. Um, London, um, you might hear people say this, London has some of the best restaurants in the world, but how come I always end up at Nando's? Um, London is full of cultural delights which I never visit. So actually, um, real Londoners hardly ever see all the tourist things. Tourists come to London, they visit the Tower of London, the British Museum, Madame Tussauds, and all that stuff. But real Londoners, we never go and see that stuff, in fact. In fact, a lot of my students were always very surprised when, you know, I said, no, I've never been to Madame Tussauds. They're like, what? You've never been to Madame Tussauds? How? I thought you were a real Londoner. Well, in fact, real Londoners don't often see these things. At the weekend, they just sort of stay at home or stay in their area. And they don't do the tourist things very much. You might do it once, but then that's it, you know. Um, Gourmet coffee. Gourmet coffee, which actually is ludicrously overpriced coffee, like stupidly expensive coffee. Um, Number 55, an exciting pop-up restaurant. 
a pop-up restaurant is like a sort of temporary restaurant that's just very recently opened um and the comment here is you guys like queuing right so often you end up queuing a lot for for pop-up restaurants we have no bookings policy we have no bookings policy restaurants sometimes say this and it actually means we hate our customers um, if the restaurant has no bookings policy, it means that you're going to have to queue up because you can't book a table. Uh, number 57, this pub has character. If a pub has character, it means it's like a, a proper old-fashioned pub. Um, and it could be a bit of a rough place as well. Yeah, it has character, meaning, yes, there are individuals who frequent this pub who might rob you. All right. Uh, number 58, it's a traditional boozer. A boozer is another word for a pub. A traditional boozer is like a an old-fashioned pub, maybe like an old man's pub, and it's not a gastro pub. Gastro pub is a sort of fancy pub that serves nice food. Um, number 59, what do you do? That's one of the most common questions that people ask each other as a way of starting a conversation. If you meet someone at a party, you might say, so uh, what do you do? meaning what's your job, but it also kind of means, so uh, how much do you earn? In fact, when you ask someone, what do you do, and they tell you, they tell you their job, immediately, I think, you probably make some kind of series of judgments about that person. For example, what do you do? Oh, I work in the city. And you think, right, you're an asshole banker, you know. Um, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. Oh, right, so you're rich. Or what do you do? I'm an English teacher. All right, so you just, you know, you just do that job that I did when I was on holiday once, you know? Uh, What do you do? How much do you earn, really? And then he works in finance can actually mean he's a psycho. You might have seen that film, The Wolf of Wall Street. Well, there you go. The guy in that film, Jordan Belfort, he was a bit of a psycho. So, Finance has a bit of a reputation for sort of psychos or crazy uh, people with no moral compass, uh, cokeheads, things like that. He works in media. He's a wanker. A wanker is just like a, I don't know, like an asshole in America. In England, we'd say a wanker. He works in PR. That's public relations, which is another way of saying he's a bullshitter. He works in tech. Just means he's got a blog. Um, Working hours. Uh, could actually just mean waking hours, meaning that um, the hours when you're awake are the hours when you're working because people just work a lot. They work long hours. And then we've got number 65, the greatest city on earth, apart from New York. And then number 66, you know what they say, he who is tired of London is tired of life. Okay, that's a very common um, saying which um, applies to London. He who is tired of London is tired of life, meaning there are so many things to do in London that if you ever get tired of London, then you're tired of life. And the comment here is, I am so tired of London. So there you go. That's the end of this um, description of those things that Londoners say and what they actually mean. I think the whole thing on balance is a little bit cynical. I think that Londoners do say those things and sometimes they do mean the things described. But it's also a little bit cynical. I think also in London people are pretty positive when they apologise or when they're polite. I think they're genuine. The intention is to make things work in society. People are genuinely quite friendly 
And yes, it's a very big place, so people don't like to travel at long distances at the weekends. But on balance, I think that London is actually quite a positive place, despite the fact it can be a pretty tricky place to live in sometimes. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Luke's English Podcast. That is the end of this episode. Uh, Don't forget that uh, you can leave comments below these episodes uh, on the webpage, teacherluke.wordpress.com. I'm always very interested to read your comments. And, for example, for this one, if you want to respond to it, why don't you write a comment explaining what it's like living in your city? Is it similar to London? Is it different? Let me know. I'd very much like to hear from you. Um, That's it for this episode, though. I'll speak to you again very, very soon. But for now, it's bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.